0: Good morning. Over the last couple weeks since uh, Allison and I shared with the leadership of the church that God's leading us overseas uh, to be on mission with the Lord abroad, it's been amazing, all the encouragement and the notes and the emails and the text messages. Thank you so much for the prayers and the support. The four years here have been amazing. God has taught me so much. He's been so gracious Thank you for loving us and supporting us and uh, Dottie, you promised me you wouldn't cry so don't cry and I'll be good and um, we love you guys and we love this church and the elders and I are excited for the next chapter, we've been praying and working diligently on that and uh, more announcements to come on what that looks like, we're pretty excited for the the developments, there's a, there's a good plan in place and because um, the Lord's been so faithful to work in our midst so we covet and cherish your prayers during this time and, uh, and just know that our relationship is not ending here. It's just it's going to take on a new look as the elders and the church of Randall pray for us and send us out as missionaries. This is our home church and uh, we love you so much. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that we could be together on, on every day is your day, but a special time to assemble and to sit under your word. And to submit to you and to your teaching. And it is such an honor and a privilege that you call us your children. That you have bestowed such a manner upon us that we are children of God. And for that, we are eternally and forever grateful. Because we didn't deserve it. We didn't ask for it. And yet you love us. And you demonstrated your love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus. To live and to die and to defeat death so we could be called children of God. For that, we love you. We know you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We know, Jesus Christ, that you are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And there are no surprises to you, for you are in control and you hold together the cosmos. So, Lord God, you have our future. You have the plans of Randall, of Buffalo. You have them all. And we trust you. So, Lord God, as as my family and I, we step out in faith. Lord God, this is a time of faith for us as a church as well. And we trust you because you are faithful. And we know you will lead us and guide us and we will submit to you. We love you, Jesus. And we pray all this in your holy name. Amen. We're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. And it's a powerful, powerful look at a church that is certainly messy, just like any church. You read any of Paul's epistles to the churches, and Galatians, Paul's like, "Who's bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Who's who's put a spell over you? Who's bedazzled you?" Or you think about the letter to Thessaloniki and and the apostates that were challenging. And each of the different letters had a nuance for the church to live up to their identity in Christ. Well, Corinth was certainly a special church. I mean, we know from history that there were four letters written to this one church. Can you imagine getting the Apostle Paul to write four letters to you? Because that's how much he cared for them, and that's how much he wanted them to live up to their identity in Christ. Because Paul knew that the gospel was their only hope. And the gospel, it could work in Corinth. And if it could work in Corinth, it could work anywhere. Because Corinth was a decadent, just crazy crazy city, and it was a a beautiful city, and still modern day, you can see some of the amazing architecture as you go through there, and uh, in Corinth, and right there in Greece, and see the mountains, and the form there, and the different temples, and the different roads that went through, and uh, pretty cool to get to the opportunity to, uh, to visit that and uh, let's keep going here, I'll show you a few other pictures and hopefully it makes it come alive for you today as we hear this letter that the people that received this letter were in this city. Paul had visited that city, Paul had preached the gospel to that city, and Paul had a heart for them for them to live in their identity in Christ and so Paul kept writing them and admonishing them and encouraging them as his children and this is paul 's heart, and it 's seen very clearly right here. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul is very clear when he 's admonishing them this central theme of identity is it 's exposed all throughout the letter, and it 's shown in the introduction, and we 're going to end there today, but In chapters 5 and 6 where he writes to them, he says, don't you know that drunkards and, and defilers and homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. You have been washed, you have been cleansed, you are now a child of God. So he always appeals to their identity and we see Paul's identity here how he regards himself as a servant and a steward a servant is one you you get the idea of a servant the imagery is just so strong it's like I'm here for you how can I help you I'm here to serve I am not here to Lord I am not here to profit to benefit I am here to serve you he said that's how we regard ourselves that's how you should regard us a steward is a faithful manager. A steward is one who has a responsibility and he does that task to the utmost. And as he's calling the mysteries of God, the mysteries of God is the gospel. That Christ was born of the Virgin Mary in a little manger and that God has come to us to love us and to redeem us. That's a mystery that God would even care for us. And he's like, that's what I'm a steward of. I want to be faithful to that to that gospel message, that's what I want to be faithful to. So we see how Paul, in his identity, how he regards himself, moreover, it's required of a steward that they be found trustworthy. Your translation may say faithful. I love this, Paul says... I just want to be found faithful. As a steward in this ministry, I just want to be found faithful. Because faithful is the one characteristic that describes all the characteristics. And Paul's saying, I want to be faithful. I want just to be found faithful. That is my desire. Faithful to love God. Faithful to love others. Faithful to serve. Faithful is a characteristic that describes all the virtues. And and Paul says, that's how I want to be considered I want to be found trustworthy. I want to be found faithful. So Paul does not have a confused identity. Now, as we're going to explore, the Corinthian church is the one with the confused identity. And so Paul keeps appealing to them. And it reminds me of an old Native American tell of the young brave who thought it'd be funny one day to take a prairie chicken egg and swap it out with the golden eagle egg so he climbs up to the mountain he gets into the golden eagle's nest he takes the golden eagle's egg and he puts the prairie chicken egg in there and he goes back to the prairie chicken nest and he puts the golden eagle egg in there and the golden eagle who thinks he's a prairie chicken is popped and you know pops out right the hatch comes out of the, the egg and he's clucking around in the dirt with his prairie chicken brothers and sisters, but he's really a golden eagle. But the problem is he thinks he's a prairie chicken because he's hanging out with prairie chickens. And so one day he's clucking in the dirt and he's eating worms and he sees a golden eagle flying in the sky. And the golden eagle, who really thinks he's a prairie chicken, even though he's really a golden eagle, looks to his prairie chicken brother who's really a prairie chicken and not a golden eagle, says, man, look at that golden eagle most amazing bird in the world. Look at its wingspan. Look at how powerful it is. So sad that I'm only a prairie chicken. And he goes back to clucking in the dirt and uh, eating worms. See, he was truly a golden eagle created to soar, but he was living in the dirt as a prairie chicken. He wasn't living in line with his true design. He wasn't living in line with his true design. His identity was not matching his lifestyle. His identity was not matching his lifestyle. There was a disconnect. There was a disconnect between who he truly was and how he truly was living. And that's the same fundamental issue and challenge for all believers to live in line with your true design, to understand that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And when we we live short of that, we're just clocking in the dirt like a prairie chicken that's truly a golden eagle. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That is our identity. And the challenge is for our behavior, our actions, our words, our thoughts to reflect the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to do the things that we used to do because, see, we're no longer the people that we used to be. He's washed us. He's changed us. That's what he said in the theme in chapter 1. We're going to go back to that at the end. And in chapter 5 and 6, he keeps hearkening back to such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. And so this is Paul's heart. This is how he considers himself. And look at the challenge that he has for the church. He brings it. We're going to skip around in a couple different chapters. In chapter 3... He says, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So they're in Christ, but he's like, you're a baby. You're an infant. I couldn't consider you as spiritual people. The word there could be translated as mature. I couldn't consider you that. But as people of the flesh, and the flesh there, he's not talking about the body. He's talking about that which represents sin. That which represents sin. And he's like, because you're not living in line with your true design. You're living as infants that are muddling in the dirt, eating worms. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. So he's like, hey, look, when you were a baby, I fed you with milk. That's cool. That's great. Because you weren't ready for it then. But what's really sad, you're even now you're not ready for it. You're 16 years old, you're 24 years old, and you're still drinking out of a bottle. The imagery here, the illustration that Paul gives us is so clear. Right? And I, was, I watched 60 Minutes, I was watching it, it was two years back, and the, this very interesting mother, I'll be careful of the descriptions that I use, but she was still breastfeeding her 8-year-old. Right? I know y'all know who I'm talking about. It, this is this weird. Okay, I didn't say weird. Different. Unique. Interesting. Right? I'll be careful not to put moral value on it, Um, but definitely interesting. And she goes through the logic and this and that, and, you know, and and he's just walking around, running around, talking, using big words, and, and there he is. That's not like what Paul's saying is like, you need to be on solid food now. You need to be on solid food, but you can't. You're not even ready. For you are still of the flesh, and that's not their identity, that's their behavior. And I can prove it, because he says right there, you're behaving, your behavior. For while there's jealousy and strife, and look at those, those aren't virtues, those are vices. And he's painting a picture of their disobedience, and he's like, look, it reminds me of what Jesus said. No good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. There are deeds of the flesh in you. Look at it, there's jealousy, there's strife. You're bearing bad fruit. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? This is incompatible with who you are. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So this is addressing the division in the church. Fancy theological term for it is sectarianism. They were being divisive. They were, they were, they were getting in these little groups getting these little clicks, saying, ah, I like him, or I like him, I like Apollos, or I like Peter, I like Paul. and, And they were not benefiting the glory of God, they were not living in line with their design, they were not living unified in their identity and who they are in Christ, they were being sinful. And we're spiritual beings that are having a human experience, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. And he's like, you're being human. Isn't that funny how he calls that out? Are you you not being merely human? Well, I thought I was a human. No. Ecclesiastes says eternity has been planted in the heart. We weren't created for this earth. We were created for eternity. This is just a warm-up. This is just a practice session for all of eternity, forever and ever. Wrap your mind around that. He's like, why are you acting as humans? Well, I thought I was one. Well, no, you are a son of God. You're a spiritual being. You are a daughter of the most high king. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants? We're just servants. That's identity. I'm just a servant through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I love Paul's humility, it's not a false humility. He understands himself properly. He has a proper estimation of who he is in view of who God is. We're switching back to chapter 4. That was chapter 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Look, so he's exposing their judgmental spirit. He says, this exposes your immaturity. It reveals your immaturity just like the jealousy and the strife, the division, the sectarianism. And look at your judgmental spirit, how you're like, oh, well, Paul doesn't do this, or Peter does this, or Apollos does this. And so he's addressing this critical spirit. He's addressing this, and he says, (laughs) once again, I I just think Paul was probably thinking back to Jesus' teaching, when Jesus is like, hey, you may want to pull the log out of your own eye before you try to get the splinter out of mine. Because none of us are perfect. We all live in a glass house. That doesn't mean that we can't be honest and real and have accountability. Accountability and a spirit of love is much different than a spirit of criticism. There is a judgment when Jesus said, judge not so you be not judged. we got to be careful here because Christians love that, that if we approach someone, hey, judge not, can't judge me, Jesus said it. There's two types of judgments, important, never forget, two types of judgments. There's a judgment of restoration that is done in love for the glory of God. And there is a judgment of condemnation that no human being should ever engage in because our feet are all made of clay. The judgment of condemnation can only be done by the one who is righteous and holy and who will judge one day and whose names, he says, are in the Lamb's book of life, would be separated to the left and the right, the sheep and the goats. That's a judgment of condemnation that we'll reserve for the Holy One. The judgment of restoration the church is supposed to endeavor in, and spiritual leaders are called to endeavor in, and we are called to embrace a judgment of restorations. Galatians 6 talks about carrying burdens and restoring the weak. Matthew 18, Jesus talks about church discipline. And what was the goal of Discipline restoration. That is a judgment of restoration. We are called to be fruit inspectors, not to condemn, but to restore. And people say, judge not. You be careful. Make sure you know what you're talking about. There's a judgment of condemnation that only God can do. There's a judgment of restoration that spiritually minded men and women are to embrace. Here, Paul is challenging this spirit of condemnation, this critical spirit that exists in us all. We're consumers at heart. It's who we are. Everyone in this room has an opinion over, is it Wegmans or Topps? Or is it this Salem's hot dog versus this hot dog? Or is it Burger King or McDonald's? Or Coke or Pepsi? That's fine to be an intelligent consumer. If you like Marshall's versus TJ Maxx, you know what? Whatever makes you happy, that's where you need to shop wherever you wanna eat, wonderful. That's great, be an intelligent consumer, save money. But we carry that same attitude and mentality in this criticism in our human relationships. And some of us are better at this than others and when I see better, that's not a positive characteristic. We're just more critical in how we deal with people. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth But Jesus was 100% love and 100% truth. Jesus was very, very harsh with his disciples at times. But it was always in love. 100% truth, 100% love. You've heard the saying from me numerous times. Truth without love is harsh. Love without truth is compromise. That saying comes from the Gothards back in 40 years ago. But it is so true, and we see it in Jesus' life, and we see it in Paul's life. It's not what we're seeing, what Paul is rebuking and addressing in the Corinthian church. They're just judgmental, and they're condemning, and they're divisive. And he's exposing. I love that he says, <laughs> I mean, you've got to sense here the sarcasm, because we're going to see it. Paul is very, very, the, the language here is so chalked full of just, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Even in fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. I don't judge myself, so I'm going to let you judge me, right? I'm not aware of anything against myself. He's like, there may be something, I'm not sure of it. He knows he's not perfect and other. Areas in Philippians and 2 Timothy, he says it's a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came to save sinners among whom I'm chief. So it's not like Paul saying he's perfect. Don't misinterpret that. Okay? Paul said, hey, I'm not perfect. But when it comes to these gross areas of sin and unconfessed, that's not in my life. But I'm not thereby acquitted. Because even if I did judge myself, I'm not acquitted by that. Why? Because it is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. The church's judgmental spirit shows their immaturity. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That day is called the great white throne judgment, where the believers will be separated from the unbelievers. And God will preside. And Jesus, even in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, says, hey, it's not even me that's judging. The Father will sit on the throne and will bring down judgment on that day. So this criticism, this negative Nancy, this critical Larry stuff, whatever it is, just it's not allowed in the church. It's not fitting We're golden eagles and we're acting like prairie chickens. Then each one will receive his commendation on that day because he will expose, the light will expose. We keep going, the church's pride shows their immaturity. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? So he's like, wait, hold on. Okay, you've got gifts. You've got talents. You've got money. Corinth was a very, very, very wealthy city. It was a trade city. I mean, there was so much commerce in Corinth. Very affluent. One of the richest cities in the world next to Rome. And so Paul is dealing with the 1%. Okay, and not everyone that was in the church was super wealthy. But he's he's sensing this pride and he's about to hit it. And expose it on so many different levels. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? These are all rhetorical questions that he knows the answer to. If you then received it, why, does you, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He's like, look, salvation was a free gift. All you did was get lost. All you did was get lost. God saved you, you were the lost sheep, the shepherd found you, and you're what? Saying what? Look at me, look how special I am. You don't have anything to contribute God. You don't have anything to offer God. We were lost. Romans chapter 3, Paul said, our throats were an open grave. There was none that is righteous, no, not one. There was none seeking after God, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short. Now you're acting like you're so special, like God needs you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God loved us and forever changed us. And for that, all that is, should be expected is, is a heart of gratitude. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as a, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, this is your reasonable act of worship. In view of God's love towards you, in view of God's mercy, the only thing that's expected is to do what? Say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Instead, you're entitled, you're proud, you think God needs you because you're, you're smart or you're wealthy or you're educated because you're Greek and you've been to this university and you run this business. Nah. Already you have all you want. No, he is not saying this in truth. He's saying this is their attitude. You act like you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would That you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. He's like, man, that'd be awesome. He's mocking them. He's exposing their hearts and their attitudes. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. Do you see what Paul is just exposing their behavior and saying this is incongruent with the gospel. This isn't who you are in Christ. You're a golden eagle, but you're acting like a prairie chicken. And it's this pride. And it's this entitlement. Is that what you see in us? And he's going to say, no, imitate us. Not that we're perfect, but we're perfectible. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed, and we're buffeted, and we're homeless. Paul's talking about his band Timothy, and Silas, and Priscilla, and Aquila, and John Mark, and Barnabas, that whole lot, Luke. He's like, Look, we're hungry, we're thirsty. In Philippians 4, remember what he said? We've learned to live in plenty, we've learned to live in want, we've been warm, we've been cold, we've been well fed, we've been hungry. We know it all. We've been there. In Corinthians later, he says, we've been shipwrecked. We've been beaten. He's like, this is what we're doing. Why do you think it, I mean, what's up with your attitude? This is hard hitting. And we labor working with our own hands. He was a tent maker because he didn't want to impose upon them. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure. Some people could say, "Man, Paul, you're being proud. You're being proudful. You're being proud." That's the word. You're being proud. You're being so arrogant. And Paul could say, "No, nah, man. I'm just so in love with this church in all of its inadequacies and I just I'm speaking truthful and is it strong? Yes but it's because I love them. And that's what he says right here. He exposes it and he says, look. It's not clicking, you may have to, Dylan. Yeah, see if you click back on it. Go to the next slide. All right, just go to, yeah, can you go to the next slide? All right, it may take a second. So I'll find in my notes, because I'm sure I'm not anywhere near where I'm supposed to be. All right, sweet, there we are. When slandered, we entreat. All right, it's working out, sweet. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse. And that word refuse there is not a nice word. Like we would be like, oh, you can't use that word. Well, Paul used it. It was, um, it was um, yeah, it's a bad word in ancient Greek. And it's like that's what we are. We're the poop of all things. That's how we're, that's how we're treated. We're slandered. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, like the refuse of all things. This is our identity. This is how we are being treated. And look how you're acting. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. We know from the Holy Scripture that God disciplines us and reproves us because he loves us. We know from Hebrews and from 1 John that, that that illustration of the father to children, he said, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't reprove you, admonish you, speak truth to you. It's always funny that the kids that are not well behaved, you know, the, you'll in counseling and different conversations that we've had, the parents will say, well, oh, it's just hard for me to discipline little Johnny. Because I love him so much And I'm like, ah, well see, love is doing what's best for little Johnny And little Johnny needs correction Little Johnny needs discipline And I'm not saying what that discipline looks like Each kid is different, contextualize it But if you truly love little Johnny, you'll discipline him God loves us and he admonishes us and reproves us Corrects us and disciplines us It shows that he has our best in mind He prunes us, he refines us And Paul loves them. If he didn't love them, if you if you were indifferent, if you didn't care, this would be like, whatever, I don't care. But he loves them. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. You're a golden eagle and you're living like a prairie chicken. You're clucking around in the dirt eating worms. What are you doing? For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I have become a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he's like, look, I'm a father. I'm correcting you. I'm reproving you. I'm admonishing you. I love you. Yes, is it strong, but no, my motive is pure. And this is lining up with the word of God. I'm not acting outside of the word. I am a spiritual father to you. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He's like, look, be imitators of me. He says the same thing later in 1 Corinthians 11:1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. And that's why I sent Timothy. I sent Timothy, my beloved disciple, my faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways. And Paul's not being arrogant, Paul knew that he was walking in obedience to Christ. And he's like, this is an example before you. As I teach them everywhere in every church. And we, go, we see this central theme. I love that, you know, I'm going back to chapter 1 now. Because I think it's a good reminder that he has come so strong on them. He has admonished them. He is like, man... <laughs> You should be eating steak and potatoes, but you need to grow up. You're so immature. You're, you, you're jealous. There's strife. There's division. There's a critical spirit. You're just negative, Nancy, on everything. You're divisive. You're arrogant. You're proud. You think you're better than us. You think you're better than the apostles. You're not better. None of us are better than anyone. We're all sinners. And you just think so much of yourself that God needs you and that you don't need us. But he goes back and he's like, I'm saying all this because I love you and I want you to remember who you are and remember verse two of this letter. How did it start? Did he write to the sinful people in Corinth? No, he's writing to the church. To the church. They may not be acting like the church. And remember what the word church means the called out ones. The ekkaleo. Ek means out. Kaleo means called. The ecclesia. The ecclesia. The word is built in Greek on ek, which is the prefix which means out, and kaleo, which means called. To call. He's like, You are the called out ones, the ones that have been called out from darkness to God's marvelous light, to the church, to the called out ones that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The theme of all of Paul's letters and just ancient letter writing style you would always see the theme of that letter come through the introduction. The theme of Philippians is one of joy in Christ no matter the circumstance. You read Philippians, the word joy is used more than any other word thematically. Here in Corinthians, what is the theme of his opening introduction? It's one of identity, it's one of identity, it's one of identity. He's appealing, saying, you are a golden eagle. And you're acting like a prairie chicken I give thanks for the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified. He's reminding them. He's reminding them. How is our behavior doing in relation to our identity? Is there pride in you? Is there pride in me? Well, certainly. We're not perfect, right? And that doesn't give us excuse and license. But it's not acceptable either. Sin got paid for with a high price. The sacrifice of the son of God. And so when we sin and we're like, ah, it's no big deal. God will forgive me. Well, it's kind of a big deal. (laughs) Jesus was brutalized and beaten for our sins. So it seems like it was kind of a big deal. God cares about sin enough to send his son to pay the price for us. So as believers, when we continue to play games, we're like, ah, it's fine. It's not fine. It grieves God. It doesn't change our identity. There's nothing you could do that could ever make God love you more or less than he already does right now in Christ Jesus. And that's the gospel, and that's beautiful, and that's amazing. And see, the grace of God should woo us. The grace of God, knowing that truth, that there is nothing that I could ever do to make God love me more or less, shouldn't give me license to sin. It should give me, oh my goodness, our God is amazing. I want to be forever grateful. I want to live holy because he is holy. And when I fall short, I want to be quick to say I'm sorry. I want to be quick to repent. I'm sorry. That's not who I am in Christ. I'm a golden eagle. That's not who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Most High King. So there's not guilt. That's how Paul in Romans 8 can say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we've been set free. And for those who are set free, we are free indeed. Are you living free? Am I living free? Am I living in line? Are you living in line with your true design as a son of God and a daughter of the Most High King? You're like, Josh, this is rudimentary. This is, this is the ABCs of the gospel. It never gets more complicated than the ABCs of the gospel. The challenge is living it out and reminding ourselves, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. My anger, my temper, my greed, my pride, unacceptable. Because that's not who I am in Christ. God did not die for me and leave the grave empty for me to play games. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. If there's anyone here today that has not placed their faith in you and forever grateful for who you are and said thank you for your wonderful sacrifice of doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, dying on the cross so we could live, I pray right now today that they would cling to you and they would say, Jesus, have your way with me. I pray right now as the band comes forward as the ushers come forward that we would all do business with you and that we would not see you as an angry schoolmaster as an angry headmaster but a loving father that is full of grace and truth that cares about our sin but loves us infinitely more than we could ever understand and has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. So may we live with that gratitude. May we live with that forever thankfulness. And if there is any sin in anyone in this room, that we would do business and confess it right now. If there is any bitterness, resentment, if there is any condemnation of criticism, if there is any pride, if there is any lust, if there is any anger in the heart, Holy Spirit, be gentle with us now. Convict us, expose us now with the truth and the light of the gospel. And may we leave it at your feet. And may we worship freely. And may there there be great jubilee because their sins are forgiven no more. And for all those that have clung to you for the first time today, I pray they would tell someone, God. They would mark it on a card. They would tell someone what you're doing in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we say thank you. You are better to us than we deserve. Amen.